Mike's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM, our weekly opportunity to sit down with the award-winning journalists who cover the East End, do a little bit of a deeper dive into the news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27East.com, and Express Magazine. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you. Great panel this week, as always. We have Denise Civiletti, the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Good morning, Joe. Thank you for joining us. We have Joe Workmeister, who's a staff writer at Newsday. Hey, Joe. Hey, how's everybody doing? Glad. Thank you for joining us. And we have uh, Christine Sampson, who's the deputy managing editor of the East Hampton Star. We're not going to actually see her live because she's having some internet issues but she is definitely here. Hi, Chrissy. Hey, 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 hi. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, but we can hear you just fine now. So uh, so busy week, middle of summer, uh, as always. But let's, uh, you know, this show has its focus and our focus is septics. <laughs> we, are, we are always willing to get into the septics. It's what we like to do. Um, I thought you did a terrific story last week. And Denise, uh, I, we, we actually... Uh, followed up on it as well. Suffolk okay. County uh, got a settlement. Uh, they they had to settle with the federal government, I believe it was, right, a- about yes. um, some environmental issues at Suffolk County Parks. Can you explain sort of what that's about? I can try. Um, so, yeah, they entered into a consent decree, decree uh, that was uh, so ordered by the court, uh, federal court, um, with the Federal Department of Justice for uh, violations of the Safe Drinking Water Act um, for um, maintaining uh, structures called large capacity cesspools mm. in county parks. Mm. Um, now, let's just say in the scheme of things, they, uh, they're, they're being required to remove 46 large capacity cesspools, which the Safe Drinking Water Act made illegal in, are you ready? 2005. <laughs> um, and um, they never got around to making them, you know, removing them and replacing them with legal structures that involve like, septic holding tanks. Now, these large capacity cesspools are cesspools that are designed to accept waste from 20 or more people per day. And they're located at mostly a county park, some arenas, a golf course um, throughout the county. And um, they're receiving waste from uh, county bathrooms and um, showers and things like that, that you know most county parks have. And they're just all over the county, West End, East End. Um, but- um, I'm curious, Denise, are these also facilities that take like, the waste from RVs and stuff too? Is that well, I, I was going to say the thing that really uh, astounded me and outraged me personally was that they've got these uh, dump stations at county parks specifically to accept waste from camping RVs. So mm-hmm. depending on the size of the county park, that could really be a lot of waste. I mean, Indian Island's got something like uh, 140 campsites A lot of RV campers there. It's one of two county parks campgrounds that are open year round. The dump stations are open year round. And the thing that really drove me nuts about this, um, if I may confess to that, (laughs) is that the one at Indian Island is located, according to a measurement I did on Google Earth, you know, um, 300 feet from the water's edge of the uh, Sawmill River. Creek, rather, Sawmill Creek, which is an impaired water body that's part of the uh, protected national estuary of national significance we know and love as the Peconic Estuary, which, as we all know, has a terrific amount of um, terrific, not in the happy sense, but uh, of um, nitrogen pollution and the consequence, you know, we experience the consequences of that every single day. And sometimes it, you know, blows up in these things that we know as uh, algae blooms that are fueled by uh, nitrogen, which is um, a major component of human waste. Um, 
you know, we're talking about waste, like when you go to the bathroom kind of waste, not, you know, municipal, like solid waste that you put out with the trash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I mean, we've here we've got campers year round dumping, um, you know, wastewater from the holds in their RVs, you know, the, the holding tanks into this illegal large capacity to illegal large capacity cesspools 300 feet from Sawmill Creek. And um, I assume I assume by cesspools, we're not talking about enclosed tanks. We're not talking no, about something yeah. that's holding them. It, it's just basically going straight that's, into. That's exactly right. It, it, they're, they're, you know, cement, usually cement structures with holes in them and no bottom. You know, I mean, uh, they they or or bottom with holes in it as well. No septic tank that, you know, contains the waste in any way. And, um, you know, it, that a distance, that distance from groundwater means that it gets to, according to the Peconic Estuary Program, it gets into the water within within two years, zero mm -hmm. to two years, according to the Peconic Estuary Program. So, you know, here we've got this impaired water body, this estuary of national significance and everything. And the county is having campers like basically dump their their poop in it <laughs> mm -hmm. like it's it's nuts um and so um right. it might as well have them go into the bathroom right in, into the creek yeah or just let it dump it right at the so the consent order that was entered into with the department of justice requires the county to replace these large capacity cesspools um at all of them over a period of years and there's timelines spelled out um, and, you know, they've got to replace them with at the dump stations with holding tanks that then will be pumped out and the contents of which will be, you know, brought to a proper disposal facility. And, you know, like we have one, you can practically walk to it from there <laughs> and, and right in Riverhead to, that accepts that kind of waste. Um, was was and, there any, any explanation on why it needed to? From the county and and why it needed to get to a point where where the EPA was was suing the county and why it had to come to this this agreement and why the county wasn't already on on track to, well, to replace these cesspools. When when you consider the county's focus on nitrogen pollution and wastewater and you know removing getting you know replacing the three hundred thousand unsewered you know. Um, homes and businesses in the county um and they've done i mean look they've they've really tried with this they've done a lot of good work they've done you know you look at the studies that they've done their wastewater their water quality management plans um i i this this does not take i i feel like this shouldn't take that away from them you know um but well, what the heck except for and, a physician heal thyself type of thing you know well I, you know it's ironic it it strikes you as you know hypocritical yeah um because but but here's the thing i really tried and you know me and you know i did to get a straight answer about that out of county officials and it was all to no avail i mean I, I considered it. We we published an editorial this week about this, and I considered um, just I kind of didn't want to make it too long, but I considered actually publishing in full the text of the email responses that I got to like four very straightforward questions that did not answer those questions at all. And we're all familiar with this, right? I mean, you try to get, you ask a straightforward question and you get anything but a responsive answer from the people whose job it is to provide reporters with information. Has anyone else experienced that? Mm -hmm. The county is particularly difficult that way. It's kind of nuts. I mean, you can't, you can't talk to anybody other than these designated uh, public information people, right? These communications people. And it seems like they're, they're, they perceive their job as sort of just, you know, not giving you the information you, you need. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and what information they give you, they, they spin and, and you get all these non-responsive answers. It's, it's, I don't know. It's like a, a state. It's an art form. I think. I don't know. They. I don't know where they learned to do this, but um, it doesn't serve the public interest. It certainly doesn't serve the reporters that they're, you know, being paid to, you know, provide information to. 
Um, and just and to emphasize so that it, was my that was my uh, experience with that. And, 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 and I mean, in a story that that we did this week, and, and just it, to so. just to prove your point, Denise. I mean, we we had asked Peter Scully, who is I think the tep- deputy county executive, and is the nickname of the waters are because he's actually done a lot of work. To, you know, to to get, you know, to get changes in the county, like you said, in, in private residents and businesses. But his his statement, I, I think, was was a little outrageous. His statement, I'll read it. The, the county is pleased to have resolved these legacy issues and appreciates EPA's having acknowledged that Suffolk County has become a recognized leader in the use of advanced technologies at its parks facilities to protect water protect quality. Water quality. Gee, but, but obviously familiar. not. I got exactly the same <laughs> statement. I mean, but, you know, word for word, it was like a canned statement. I think, in fact, that they gave that that, that same Peter Scully statement um, to Vera Chinesi at Newsday when she reported this, when this press release from DOJ first came out. Um, and, you know, then, then Peter Scully, after I made these inquiries, called me to say, um, to, just to tell me about all of these, you know, what all these other businesses that are, you know, all like, you know, not for publication, but all these other businesses that they that, that the DOJ, why don't they go after them kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I got that same thing from the county's communications office as well, mm-hmm. including they added, um, you know, and and New York State Parks had the same has the same issue, and they they entered into some you know agreement with them or something. And I'm like, what has that got to do with anything? It's just yeah, it was it was it's shameful, I thought, yeah, I just I don't know. To put a I fine thought, point on it, they the you know the county we're talking about facilities all over the East End, right? This is mm. this was not just Indian all Island; it was. Yeah, Sears Bellows, yeah. it was Montauk. There, there, there are a variety of parks, and this is a county that prides itself, and you can see that in the statement from from Peter Scully. That, you know, they pride themselves on being very uh, pro drinking water, and and it's sort of shocking that the county, and and, and again to to emphasize it, they had to they had to settle this agreement. The federal government came in and basically forced their hand on this. Yeah. Uh, it's, and it's, and it's, it doesn't. I mean, according to 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 our our reporting, you know, the 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 total cost of the project to to you know to remediate this is is is, is relatively inexpensive. It's seven million dollars. That I mean, right. that sounds like a lot, but it's really not a lot when you're talking about drinking water, and you know, and it's going to take them until 2031 to to fix this. You you feel like maybe the county would have been a little more proactive. You know, I don't now, according to Al Krupski, um, the county has actually already. So I, I was questioning and he was the only one that he, he made an effort to get me a, a, a direct answer to this. But the, the large capacity cesspools at Indian Island um, were at the two at the dump station and two at something that was identified as a ranger station, which was very perplexing because. A, I don't know why they would need, you know, large capacity cesspools at the ranger station. I was thinking of the the check-in station where you, you know, that I know as a ranger station when you go into the park. Um, but apparently, the ranger they station often, maybe maybe that's where on on Riverside Drive there where the gas station is and the and they've got uh, the little police what, what, station. What, there. He wasn't sure either, but what he finally yeah. um, what he got back to me with was the the building that used that was the old ranger station there was a ranger station that's uh, that's next to these dump stations Hmm. like literally right next to it where i think they have some like uh offices for the rangers and um they have sometimes meetings there for ceq and and stuff so the uh, economic uh environmental quality council economic quality and um economic i'm sorry environmental quality that that's a legislative committee or um, a county committee. And so they have actually meetings there. So there are more people using the bathroom facilities there. But again, that's literally that's right next to this dump mm-hmm. station and like, like very, very close to um, the Sawmill Creek. Um, and so I should point out Sawmill Creek, like Terry's Creek, like Meeting House Creek are all 
non-compliant in terms of nitrogen, you know, total nitrogen, daily load of nitrogen, and they're all impaired. And, you know, the Western Flanders Bay that they lead, they, you know, flow into also impaired and non-compliant. So, um, I don't know. It's just like you would think that they would have made this a priority. But what I started to say mm. was that Al, Al Krupski told me that the county had actually already uh, on its own upgraded the systems at the bathrooms, shower facilities in Indian Island, which is what I was questioning. Well, what about those? Like, you know, um, but, you know, again, there's a whole host of these things in a variety of county parks. And another thing that I, fa- I thought was really weird, too, was that they've got a facility in Hopog, that's a Suffolk County Police Department garage, where they're using large capacity cesspools for motor vehicle waste. Wow. Like, what? So, I don't know. I just, um, some egregious stuff. And and thank goodness they're going to actually pay attention to it now. But the, the timing guess. of this, the timing of this is interesting, too, because... Uh, the county legislature needs to take a look before, I believe, at their next meeting on the 25th. They're looking at a deadline. If they want to get a uh, measure on the ballot in November to try and create uh, one eighth of a percent sales tax increase, and that money would go towards uh, septics, it would go towards trying to improve septics in the county. Uh, it's kind of ironic that that this settlement is coming at exactly that moment, and I wonder if it doesn't sort of help emphasize just exactly how how bad the situation is in the county and how important it is to try and address it. But here's some some low hanging fruit that it took the federal government to come in and sort of force the county's hand to fix. Yeah, it's very perplexing. I I don't know. Was it, so but, was it was this just. Um... East End Parks, Denise, or, 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 or oh, were no, there, no. there were parks it, it, everywhere, right? Parks everywhere, a golf course, I think, you know, golf course, a marina, you know, places like Sayville, Blydenburg Park mm. in Hopog, uh, Cathedral Pines, um, parks, uh, you know, I don't have them at the, at the tip of my tongue here, but just like literally all over the county. And there's, you know, 46 cesspools at um, a number of, a number of parks. Yeah. I think I put it in my, I mean, I hope I put it in my story. <laughs> yeah, big issue. Was, you know, yeah. Bill, I wanted to mention 13 briefly, parks properties, sorry. 13 in the county. Mm. Um, uh, Bill, I wanted to mention briefly, it's sort of uh, separate, but sort of related. Um, so, uh, Southampton Town had an issue this past week with the transfer stations and dealing with oh. municipal garbage and recyclables. Oh, oh boy, did they? <laughs> yeah, it was a big deal. I, I, you know, sometimes, and this is behind the headlines. So, so there's, you know, just a little insight. There are sometimes stories that come along where you get a lot of um, input from from the public prior to to getting the story, you know, in and um, and this was was one of those. I mean, we received just multiple multiple emails and phone calls and what's going on at the transfer stations um and and so basically it was just it was it was unavoidable it was a it was a perfect uh storm of of things so the you know the the town has you know various transfer stations um you know around the town where people self haulers bring their garbage on you know on on certain days um and what had happened is, you know, so so you you throw your garbage into these bins, and then the the town has trucks that the semi trucks that come in and, and empty those bins, and um, the town just happened to to lose, um, you know, two of two of the trucks broke down, and a, and a third truck had had burned in a fire, um, you know, several months ago. So they just had to um, they had to kind of close the transfer stations over the weekend last weekend and they were directing everybody to 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 one to north sea transfer station which was the only one that was was open for a while and and boy did that just make people upset you know in in west hampton and in sag harbor and, and hampton bays that did, you know were used to hauling their garbage and to you know to be met with signs at the gates saying that the transfer stations were closed and 
um, you know, and to take your, your garbage to North Sea. So it looks like the town, you know, the town quickly got on the ball and and I think rented um, rented a couple trucks and, and the transfer stations opened up back up within a few days. But, um, you know, you're talking, you know, what what are people supposed to do with their garbage if you can't bring it to the dump and you don't hire, you know, a hauler to come in and and get it and you know and maybe that's one of the issues and we've talked about it in in southampton there's no municipal garbage pickup and and people are kind of left to to their own devices and you know and paying haulers and 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 all that um maybe there's a conversation to be had about that i don't know that it would have made a difference in this case um you know if there was municipal pickup but um yeah it made people mad <laughs> yeah and i mean it's the middle of july this is peak yeah. waste peak waste flow right now uh yeah so you can't leave that stuff laying around in your driveway waiting for the transfer stations to open up yeah and i also i believe for a time just uh on an emergency basis when you took your recyclables to the transfer stations and and put them in the appropriate facilities they were still getting lumped in with garbage just to haul them away for a temporary basis that was the easiest way to get rid of uh, the recyclables, but uh, right. I think that that concerned a lot of people too. But uh, but yeah, yeah. The, the, so the, so the town the town has has three semi tractors, you know, um, that the waste management department owns and uses. One one was in the shop, and the other two broke down. Um, and um, you know, and, and as I mentioned, um, a, another one was was destroyed in a fire at the North Sea transfer station, and in um in april so i mean they were just left with um without the ability to to deal with the garbage and again just kind of a perfect storm thing it's not um you know some of the calls that we were getting early on people were you know how how is the town not prepared and you know is there just too much garbage and they don't you know and, and it wasn't a matter of that so it was just a matter of of having to deal with these these trucks breaking down and um, they've ordered new trucks, but again, this goes back to you know supply chain issues. Um, trying to trying to get the new trucks is is proving difficult for for the town. So we're still a little bit in the middle of that. I mean, between the increased population and the summer heat, yeah. that was a terrible combination of circumstances for you know timing of this uh, little crisis. The other thing I, I took away from it is just the delicate balance. That there is that when one thing goes awry, uh, it can it yeah. can just essentially shut down the the flow of waste uh, out of the region, and it's you know yeah. that's part of what happens when we have to cart our garbage away to other places to dispose of it. You know they are transfer stations; they are not landfills. So uh, well, again, make, makes me happy to live in Riverhead, where I get that municipal garbage pickup twice a week. I don't have to worry about it. They come, you know, they come and you you know, know, they take care of I, it. I've been thinking about this quite a bit because, um, I, you know, when I, years ago when I was a child on the town board in Riverhead, um, the um, in the <laughs> late 80s and early 90s, I, I literally just turned 30. So I don't know, like to me, that's a kid now. But, um, you know, I was very involved in in developing and writing the the plan, the solid waste management plan and the code. And I've talked about this before. We went with the, you know, we tried to keep it simple and to just get as many people as possible to recycle. But I mean, things just sort of fell off and nobody followed through with important parts of the plan, um, which I think has resulted in, you know, a lack of commercial properties, recycling, a lack of, um, you know, in, increase in monitoring and what gets recycled and reduced. Like people don't talk too much about waste reduction, which is really, really critical. Uh, mm -hmm. They just want to, you know, and I, and what I, I think that the, the, the method that we went with, while it has benefits, also kind of makes it too easy. Like, you know, what you're just saying, you don't have to think about it. You know, you bring, it's like business as usual. You put your garbage, whatever, you know, in the can, you stuff it down, you bring it to the curb and it goes away somewhere. You know, I think people who have to buy these green bags and, you know, 
I think they're forced to have a, a kind of a closer relationship <laughs> with the waste that mm. they generate and are more familiar with it, therefore, and the vo- maybe the volume because they're, you know, they've got to pay for these bags and stuff. And, you know, I'm, I've been really thinking that, you know, maybe we should have like gone in Riverhead, gone with a system more like that, which I was initially inclined to do, but became convinced that people just were not going to do it. And we were just going to have, you know, a free for old garbage all over the roads and public parks, you know, like woodlands and stuff. Um, I, but I don't know. I mean, it's just, if you may, if it's too easy to avoid like thinking well, about the consequences of your habits, you don't mm-hmm. think about them. So, well, and, and, you know, and, and, um, you know, with the, with the Brookhaven facility, um, on its last legs and coming to a close, um, you know, fairly, fairly soon, we're all going to be faced maybe with, um, with some hard choices, the towns anyway, out here and, and what they're going to do with, with the solid waste. And, you, you well, know, it doesn't take raw municipal solid waste. Like, I mean, my understanding is they take ash and they take C and D like there's no more landfilling of like household trash on long island um but they can take construction they they demolition they don't take it and burn it not at brookhaven they take they take the ash from their 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 incinerators at in huntington and babylon i think in suffolk county and the ash goes there i don't brookhaven does not have an incinerator that i know of unless that happened while hmm. i was asleep um with raising two I think so, I think some of our municipal garbage does go off of the islands and, or, yeah. Yeah. for for dealing with which is a problem so so and the costs are going up I mean Riverhead's contract is up they just extended it but you know they've got a garbage carter and the prices are are going up um they're going up across the board but you know it it's it, you got to get to the source like you know you got to reduce and reuse and recycle before you, you know, then think about what's left over. You got to get the, the the amount left over, you know, to be as small as possible. And I Absolutely. feel like if you're just throwing your garbage in a garbage can and hauling it down to your curb by your driveway, you're not thinking about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, been an issue. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, in, you know, it's in the middle of summer. Like I said, this is sort of the peak. Uh, time to be dealing with with uh the flow of garbage so um these issues become more prevalent then so so this is behind the headlines on wliwfm i'm joe shaw my co my co-host is bill sutton we are with the express news group our panelists this week are joe workmeister of newsday and denise civiletti of riverhead local we apologize we've lost uh, Christine Sampson from the East Hampton Star. She was having Aww. some technical issues. Uh, I think it has to do just with the overloaded internet in the middle of summer. I, don't, I think Could we be. all are sort of feeling the the effects of mm. that from time to time. We'll see, Joe, if we can, wonder, we'll see if we can get her on again next week or or in coming weeks. She's always a yeah, great Yeah, absolutely. She's, mm. she's an important voice to hear from. So, um, Joe, uh, I want to talk about water conservation, which is another sort of timely question, and it's come up this past week, the Suffolk County Water Authority is reminding people uh, to take some basic water conservation efforts. Uh, You spoke, I think, with the the head of the Suffolk County Water Authority, right? Yeah, so, you know, if you remember last summer, you know, we had this uh, stage one water emergency. Uh, you know, officials came out here, I think, right around the beginning of August last year in Southampton Village and, um, you know, kind of put on a big press conference uh, telling people that you know, things are looking a little rough we need to kind of cut back. They put some uh, measures in place restricting when people should irrigate and, and all that. And um, that water emergency ended up getting extended um, throughout the East End and into the rest of the county as the summer went on. And, you know, afterward, once it was kind of eased up in around late September, um, you know, I remember one of the uh, head officials with the Water Authority kind of saying, you know, you, I remember refer, referred to it as a wake up call um, for the region and um, and really kind of pointedly said people didn't really cooperate as much as they um, as much as they had hoped and requested. 
And, you know, so it really made you think. And so, you know, coming into another summer season, you know, it's not, not a problem that's obviously going away. Uh, and, you know, as we have warmer summers and uh, drier um, uh, summers, it's just, um, you know, going to be something that uh, continues, especially as the population just continues to uh, uh, grow out here in the East End um, during the summer when, you know, there's so many people out here. And um, so essentially, you know, the Water Authority has put in over the years different ways to try to promote conservation and come up with different things. And and so this year, um, earlier this year, uh, the board um, that kind of is in charge of the Water Authority passed a couple of resolutions to try to um, take the next steps, so to speak, um, encouraging conservation. And one of them was uh, to essentially mandate that people only irrigate um, on odd even days. So if you're house is number 12, you only should irrigate on even days. Uh, and that goes for all you know customers. And uh, they also increased um, some rebates that people can get for um, different devices that, um, um, you know, rain sensors and pool guards and things that, you know, help um, limit how much water you're, you're wasting. And so what they did was, knowing how much of uh, the problem is kind of centered um, in on the East End, um, where you have, you, know, you, you guys are well familiar with these um, water hogs on the East End, where you have these mansions that are just using up millions of gallons a year, and um, you kind of routinely rank as the, the top uh, water users in the county uh, year after year. And, We're actually uh, getting ready to do that uh, story, Joe, where we do it uh, more or less on an annual basis, where we take a look at the, the top yeah. users and the amount of water those top users uh, pull out of the system is pretty stunning. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, one of the things they had done, you know, a few years ago was, uh, you know, increase in, um, you know, a tiered water rate. So you pay more after a certain amount. But, um, you know, as some people are saying, you know, when you have people that are, have 50, $60 million homes, like, you know, it's not really going to make a dent, right? I don't think they really care that the water bills may be uh, 30% more or whatever it may be. Um, so uh, getting back to the odd even, so you know what the water authority was trying to do was um, really get the east end towns and, and villages to kind of come on board with this idea and really kind of promote it and and actually pass ordinances to essentially codify it into um, into law. So there would be a, an enforcement mechanism. So the water authority you know passes this resolution and says this is you could only do it on odd even days, but the water authority has no enforcement power. They can't actually do anything about it. If you don't comply, it's essentially, you know, uh, voluntary. And, um, you know, the, the uh, CEO of the water authority said, you know, we understand we don't have an enforcement power, but we felt it was important to kind of make that statement and, and, and put it out there in, in writing. And so, so they're trying to get the East end towns and villages to pass these ordinances. And, and early in the year, um, they even sent, you know, kind of uh, boilerplate copies of, you know, the, the text of how they could pass these things. And and essentially no one's really gotten on board with it. And everyone kind of says, well, yeah, you know, conservation's good. We, you know, we want to uh, push the message, but no one's really willing to take that step to say we're going to actually put it into a, a code. We're, you know, essentially saying we don't have the ability, you know, force it. You know, um, and I think essentially they probably don't want to deal with the kind of pushback um that you get and i know denise you probably know in riverhead um which has its own water district you know they tried a similar thing earlier this year um where the a water district superintendent proposed an odd even there was a public hearing and people got all uh, um hot and bothered about it and um he ended up kind of pulling that back and you know we'll maybe try to circle back to it you know at a later date but um you know it's it's one of the kind of things that i kept hearing was from people is uh, trying to change habits of people. And it's going to take time to you know, really um, get people to sort of understand why it's important to um, conserve water. You know, we're on a um, single source aquifer here on the island. You know, as people said that I talked to, you know, we have water. It's not like you know, we're, we're about to run out. But what essentially happens is everyone's using the water at the same time overnight. And these tanks that store up the water um basically are dried out by the time the day by the time you know sun comes up and the day's about to start and, and the fears would be suddenly you have a big fire you know the fire department's got to hook up and and, and so all of a sudden now there's not enough water um or even you know some you know facilities like a hospital or um you know other facilities like that you know could essentially run out of water 
And, you know, so there are concerns like that, that, that hasn't happened, but, you know, it's a you know, possibility that uh, you know, officials true. are concerned about. And so, you know, if I just essentially spread out some of the water usage and, and using everyone using just a little bit less, you know, we would be able to you know, be in a better, better situation. It's striking to me, Joe, that, that what we're talking about is irrigation uh, having the biggest impact. And what the Suffolk County Water Authority is calling for isn't a, a suspension of that. They just want people to moderate how they're using it and how and when they're, they're irrigating. And they're still not getting a buy-in. That's amazing to me that people um, aren't willing to take such a small step for such an important. I mean, I, there are very few things where you can take a very small change in your behavior around the house and have a fairly significant impact on the water supply, right? This is not, this is a, not a small thing. Yeah. And you talk to some people, you know, who are familiar with irrigation and, you know, a lawn doesn't necessarily even need to be watered every day. You know, it gets to a point where, you know, you kind of water it too much. It's not necessarily even um, having that much uh, of an impact, especially, you know, different types of grass, you know, may or, um, you know, depending on what kind of flowers and whatnot people have, you know, may not need as much water as, as you think. And, and sometimes people are overwatering um, certain vegetation that they may have. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you wouldn't think it would be that hard of a s step, but, you know, just you got to get people thinking about it. And, and, you know, some people just don't know how to reprogram their sprinklers and, and sure. things like that. And, and what I thought was interesting too, I found out, I didn't know about this before, but actually on Shelter Island, they don't have um, um, basically in-ground sprinklers. You can't uh, use those type of uh, irrigation systems. You know, Shelter Island, for the most part, almost all, entirely relies on private wells for their water. Um, mm. There's a small section that the Suffolk County Water Authority took over um, their West Neck Water District, which you know services a small section. But for the most part, they have private wells. So they have to be really careful in monitoring their water supplies. And, and it's something people are really kind of aware of out there. And it's been something, you know, going back, um, you know, a long time now that people have, um, so th they had this kind of culture of conservation out there. And, and so but that's you know, kind of ironic. That's ironic too. It's because the limited supply makes them a lot more attentive to it. And, and uh, they see the difference. I think the Suffolk County Water Authority provides all the water you need and so you it doesn't feel like you need to preserve it but of course it's all coming from the same the same sources exactly right and and in fact the supply is not really limitless it it right. feels that right. way because just like with the garbage issue it's so easy to turn the tap on and get water right when you're hooked up to public water you don't have to think about your well etc and, yeah, yeah, but it's not but, a yeah. supply. Yeah, I mean, I was in some other parts of the country out west where where there's yeah. serious issues with running out of water. Um, you know, it's a little more extreme, you know, than what we have. But you know, yeah, it's water's not going to necessarily last uh, forever. It, but um, well, and also, like the other irony, sorry, is it like from reading that I've done. 40% of the nitrogen pollution in our surface waters are from runoff. And most of that is fertilizers being washed, over fertilizing, over water, watering, washing the fertilizers into the roads that go into drains that release into the surface waters. Directly so, into the surface waters. Yeah, in most so places. it's like, yeah. you know, we're, we're, Draining, we're using up all our water, draining our water tanks to irrigate lawns and create more surface water pollution. And, you know, Absolutely. so then we have to build more infrastructure that's multi million dollar infrastructure to pump water out of the ground to water these lawns and then, you know, have to clean it up with multi billion dollar uh, public expenditures on the other end when it's polluting the groundwater and the surface waters. It's crazy. It is. We just got to get past this this love affair with the perfect green lawn. Oh, you, you know, I mean, not for nothing. We were lawns. we were in a drought, and and my I don't I don't irrigate my lawn at all. My front yard got got a little brown over recent weeks, and you know what? The earth kept spinning. You know, I mean, it, it, it you know made no made no difference, and you know my 
And I've got some neighbors that are, you know, go a little extreme, but I think in my neighborhood, we're, we're mostly, um, you know, it's not that, that there's, there's not that competition that you get in some neighborhoods about, you know, the perfect yeah. lawn and all that. And I think it's a little more natural. And, and I think that's, that's the change that just needs to come in society. So, you know, why do you need that perfect green lawn? And besides, then you got to mow it more often. <laughs> also, sure. I think if you if you talk to landscapers, uh, I don't think uh, most of the people realize that when you're watering your lawn, it's better to do a soaking water more rarely than it mm -hmm. is to, to throw a little bit of water on it every night. Uh, that actually promotes uh, shallow root growth. So it's not necessarily good for your lawn to do that. And I. I also, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that the two most frustrating things that I see are when you drive around and you see people sprinklers watering the roads, uh, just a simple adjustment to the sprinklers would, would not only save water, it would also reduce some runoff uh, from the roads. Because as Denise pointed out, that's, that's going directly into the, to the groundwater when you do that. And the other thing is, you know, we had those couple of real downpours last week. Uh, I think uh, on Sunday, uh, three or four inches of rain fell in about a half an hour in Bridgehampton. And if you drive around, you can see as the rain's following, falling, people's sprinklers are on as well. And that's just a complete waste of, of our resources. And I, you know, yeah, it could be pretty, pretty maddening seeing that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It really, and there's really no, and as you pointed out, Joe, there's really no mechanism to to enforce that. It's it's really just about civic pride and and recognizing that it's in our long term best interest. So you hope people start to get that message. I don't know that they are, but uh, it's the middle of July. We've got a couple more months of this uh, to look forward to. So uh, yeah. this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists this week are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local and Joe Workmeister of Newsday. Denise, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about a lawsuit that was filed against Riverhead Town this past week. Uh, it was filed by Jeff Murphy, who is a planner, uh, who the name is familiar to a lot of us because he's worked, I, I think, on the South Fork for years as well. Uh, what's the lawsuit about in Riverhead? So um, the town of Riverhead suspended um, Mr. Murphy without pay um, and um, alleging incompetence, uh, neglect of duties, insubordination, all kinds of other things like that. Um, back in March, um, after 30 days under state law, he if he's still gonna be suspended, he has to get paid his full salary. He can only do that for 30 days. So, but he remains suspended. Um, and he's subject to a disciplinary proceeding that he um, wanted to have a, a public that wanted to be public. <clears throat> Excuse mm. me. And so they had the first um, session of the disciplinary hearing in April. Um, and um, they did uh, that. That hearing basically consisted of. Um, the direct examination by the town's attorney of uh, Supervisor Yvette Aguiar, who signed the charges against him. Um, and um, the, the next round was supposed to be the cross-examination of the supervisor, um, which promised to be very interesting at the very least. And so um, it, got, it got delayed a couple of times. It got postponed without any explanation. But... Um, it turns out that the reason for the postponement the second time was actually the entry of a temporary restraining order by a, a Supreme Court judge against the, the hearing continuing because mm -hmm. the town had not yet fully complied with subpoena, a subpoena served by Murphy's attorney on the town requesting a variety of documents that the, the attorney uh, contends are vital to the defense of these charges. Um, various emails, memos, things of that nature. And um, they're claiming uh, with a lot of this attorney-client privilege 
But some of these emails are like between people in town government who are not attorneys. So that's perplexing. Um, and so now basically it it's kind of sounds familiar to people who've been paying attention to other um other, other legal actions involving public officials in the country. But mm. they're basically arguing over what uh you know should be disclosed what should be provided and um i mean murphy's attorney didn't even make an opening statement on that first day he said he wanted to defer the opening his own opening statement until he had all the documents from the town he couldn't make an opening statement based on it Hmm. so clearly he believes that these documents are really really important um and and so that's that's what's going on there but what's what what's really interesting i think is uh, the claims that are being made by Mr. Murphy in these in these papers, um, you know, he said he's claiming that the charges against him are made uh, are politically motivated um, by a pretext by he quotes and I'm quoting a sometimes irrational supervisor in town board mm-hmm. where he is being made a political scapegoat. He says um, they they're trying to distract attention from their own actions that will surely become points of criticism and debate in the upcoming election. And um, he says that his doing his job as planning director requires that he complies with laws that are by their nature at odds with the town board's politically pro-development agenda. Wow. So, um, you know, this hearing has the potential to get really interesting. (laughs) Um, And I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) But you know, these are kinds of charges that he's making in these papers. And, um, you know, of course, the town is denying this and they're, they're going to go back to in court to, well, they've got papers due in court um, to, for, on, on the, like, so you get a temporary restraining order. Then the next step is an injunction that will last until the lawsuit is, you know, resolved. The temporary restraining order is more temporary than uh, the preliminary injunction. So, that's the next step. And, um, you know, it's it promises to be interesting. I mean, one of the things he's saying in this lawsuit is, hey, you know, you're bringing me up on charges that are, you know, over a year old at the time that the charges were filed. And in in the time that, um, you know, these events happened that you're, you're bringing me up on charges about, you know, you never wrote me up. You never gave me a warning. You never did any of those things that, you know, kind of managers are supposed to do, particularly in like a civil service environment. Right. And and on top of that, you gave me a couple of merit raises along the way during Mm. that same period of time. So it seems like they might be in kind of a difficult position. (laughs) Yeah, And and this is all being aired publicly, too, which is and I'm Which, laughing at this, but the bottom line is, I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of amusing, but really the bottom line is if he's successful in, you know, battling these charges, you know, there's going to be a whopping big lawsuit coming at sure. the conclusion of it um, for a lot of money and damages. And if successful in that, either by judgment or settlement, um, the town of Riverhead taxpayers will be uh taking it mightily, you know, it's going to be uh, a very expensive um, thing, potentially. Very so, and, who's, and, who's, and who's doing his job in the meantime? I mean, you know, that falls well, in Riverhead taxpayers uh, too, right? That That is, okay, so what, what they are, what they've done is the, um, the community development director has been made like the interim head of the planning department and planning and building like department. Um, the building inspector has been promoted to chief building inspector position um, because the CDA director, Don Thomas, who is an attorney um, also got, uh, you know, doesn't have the qualifications, the certifications to be, the, you know, to handle, to, to really oversee it in the building department. Um, but she, apparently has some background, educational background in uh, municipal planning, which I was unaware of until uh, this all came down. But um, she, you know, uh, her name appears in documents, uh, on documents that are being subpoenaed by, uh, attempting to be subpoenaed by Mr. Murphy. 
uh, in her capacity as um, the um, CDA director, not in her capacity as an attorney. She's not working as an attorney for the town. And, um, you know, there was um, a, a apparently major disagreement between um, Murphy and the CDA director over um, a building permit that he approved in accordance with um, the zoning code that uh, the CDA director supposedly did um, was opposed to being approved because the use was something that um, she thought should no longer be allowed in the location where it was. And although it is allowed. So, and he's like, well, you know, this is court papers. Like, I, I was doing my job. I was complying with the statute. Uh, I can't deny this permit because you don't want these uses there. Like, mm -hmm. um, and that had to do with a laundromat on Main Street. Um, so. And they, and they, I mean, they can't replace them in the meantime, right? I mean, they've got to wait till this plays out. Right. So he's so, collecting I mean, a salary, not not he's, doing he's anything. Collecting a salary. They also and, and, and everybody also else hired, has got to pull together to do his job. They also hired a Southampton town planner as a consultant to um, oversee the other consultants who are doing the master plan update. Uh, if you can follow that, um, mm. Southampton planner Janice Shearer, who lives in Riverhead Town in, in Baiting Hollow. Uh, was brought on as a consultant specifically to work with the planning consultants that, um, mm. you know, are working on the, the master plan update. Um, mm, and and then Don Thomas, the CDA director, is kind of overseeing the planning department processes along the way. So I don't know how this all works out in the end. We'll see. It's but, dirty laundry being aired publicly. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is how it should so. be aired. Sure. <laughs> this this should play out in public, no question. We are pretty much out of time, guys. Uh, I want to thank Joe Workmeister of Newsday and Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local for being with us this week. Thank, thank you, guys. You. Uh, I also want to thank uh, Christine Sampson of the East Hampton Star. I will point out that one of the stories she had wanted to highlight that we didn't get to talk about uh, Christopher Walsh, who's also a good friend of the show, uh, has a story this week about Richie Havens, who I believe is going to be performing locally. Uh, so that's something to seek out at the East Hampton Stars website, uh, easthamptonstar.com. Uh, we will be back next week. I want to thank my co-host, Bill Sutton. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Joe. And we will be back next week with another edition of Behind the Headlines. Thank you, guys. Thank you.